Have you ever heard of that concept of start with something good, get to the bad, and then end with something good? podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Now, Soccer 90 is your source for all your national team gear, your FC Dallas stuff, and international club gear goodies, and new stuff is arriving at the store every day. Chivas, Chelsea, Man City, and even the new USA gear, and because you are my favorite third-degree listener, I'm going to give you 25% off your order. All you got to use is the code thirddegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. You're welcome. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. And if you can hear it in my voice, it's because we won a game. (laughs) Dallas 3, the Galaxy. No, 4. Dallas 4, the Galaxy 0. And I'll be darned. We'll talk about the game here in a little bit. But first, celebrating his gold medal in men's synchronized diving, my favorite English person, Dan Crook. Hi, Dan. Hey, I'm uh, calling in from the box office at Toyota Stadium where I'm trying to keep my press credential after missing the game they actually won. (laughs) You are on the hook now. It's all all because of you, Dan. It was me and the 50 odd other people who uh, had other things going on Saturday night. And also, your hero, my hero, now available to help you move, new truck owner, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hey, Peter, calling in today from the parking lot at AT AT&T Stadium because I've been hanging out there with Pappy Check ever since the U.S. game. Yeah, that was a weird coinkydink that you uh, sat down at a random spot, and there's the guy that wrote the song for your podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And he was super nice, I assume. Did oh, he, he was. sing to you? Did you ask him to sing no. the song to you? No, 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 no. But he recognized my voice, which is really unusual. Uh, and that's when he said, "Are you Buzz?" And I was like, "Yeah." So then we chatted, and and uh, you know, there there might be some uh, something different happen with Happy Check down the line from that conversation. We'll see. Well, if I had been in that position, I would have sat there and just made him sing the song to me the, the whole, <laughs> entire game. Well, we will talk about the aforementioned big win here in a few minutes. Uh, but I think the headlining news and the smart podcasting rule of get to the news first is the signing of 18-year-old Ricardo Pepe to a five-year deal. We don't really know any of the uh, particulars about it. But I do have a couple of things I wanted to throw out in terms of stats. Now, the kid is 18 years old. He scored eight goals this year. Here's the really amazing stat. And I don't, I've got to be honest, I'm not sure if this is the good part. This is actually a good stat or a bad stat. Because of the the last 10 goals, Dallas has scored 10 goals since June 1st. Seven of those have come from their 18-year-old wonder kid. The other three from Franco Hara. Uh, Obreon's goal, uh, trash goal in L- against L.A. the other night, and then an own goal. Now, if you were to do the math, Ricardo Pepe is on pace to score 18 goals for this season. Can you tell me 
Buzz Carrick, when was the last time, if ever, somebody scored 18 goals in a season for FC Dallas? That would be, uh, well, I think that's Golden Boot winner Jeff Cunningham, or it's Kenny Cooper, like the season after that. But I think it's Cunningham. Well, you're close. Uh, Kenny Cooper had 18 goals in 08. Jeff Cunningham had 17 in mm. 09. Since then, the highest goal totals Dallas has seen is in 13 with 11, uh, 2014 with 11 and 10, and then uh, in 2017 was the last year they had a double-digit goal score, 2017, which was 12 goals. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how long um, everyone around here has been asking for a goal scorer. So. Let's just forget 2017 because that was Roland Lamar, right? Uh, no, uh, that was not who scored that goal. I can't remember who. I think it was. 2017 uh, was Maxi, 12 goals and five assists. That's it. Thank but wasn't you, it Chris. shared with Lamar? So Lamar was second, 11 goals. Okay. All right. So, Buzz, before we get into the game, let's talk about Ricardo Pepe's contract, the timing of it. Uh, I think it's mostly ironic that it comes on the heels of him becoming the youngest player in MLS history to hit for a hat trick. Uh, there's lots of lots of things to talk about in here, but just the fact they signed him to a new deal uh, probably has larger implications. Yeah, no, it definitely was in the works before that. Uh, you can't turn a contract around in like a day and a half. That just doesn't happen. Um, and plus I asked. Uh, yeah, larger implications. Well, number one, uh, it's a five-year deal. And this is one of the few things we know about it is it runs through 2026. That means it starts next year. Uh, and doesn't start now. It's difficult to give somebody a huge pay raise in the middle of a season because of the cap structure, you know, and right now they've got this albatross contract anyway, not that it all hits the cap, but you know, it hits their budget. Um, but the big picture is that uh, you have, when you have a player that you value uh, and there's another example that I want to talk about a little later in the podcast, you have to pay them what you value them. If you don't, then no one's going to pay you for them what you think like this came up a lot with Brian Reynolds because Brian Reynolds was underpaid. They didn't get as much money as they could have if they would have paid him properly. It's part of why they gave Reggie Cannon, if you remember those contract he had that had this escalator in it that almost forced them to trade him eventually. But the the whole contract made his value go up. Same thing with Pepe. Like if you think Pepe is a, and I'm just pulling a number out of the air because I'm very convinced this is the case. I think that the hunts assume that Pepe is worth 10 million plus. So if, if you think he's worth that, then you you can't pay him, you know, your homegrown rookie 100k. You got to pay him appropriately. Now, how much it is, we won't know uh, until the the MLSPA drops it next year. But generally speaking, the higher up the field you are, and the more goals you score, the more you get paid. So he probably at the end of this contract will make more than Jesus and Paxton do, and those two guys get paid a pretty good chunk of change for an American teenager. And in fact, he's 18. It's just ridiculous. So Dan, uh, considering the you know setting the timing of the hat trick aside, is it fair to at least speculate that him getting a contract now is in fact a larger indicator of interest from foreign clubs are have already made contract uh, contact uh, with the front office in Zanata, and maybe that this is a push to try to set them up set themselves up for a sale sooner than later. Um. I mean, potentially just to uh, stop a few calls or, or indeed just say, hey, look, either blow us out the water or just get lost. Uh, what I'm one- Sorry, Peter, let me jump in and just say that, like, 
and the idea that there are other clubs watching him for sure. I have a secondhand source, but it is a very good one that says that they've already turned down six million for him. So that's the ballpark you're operating in. And that's why I think the hunts won't even consider until they hit 10. Yeah, it's interesting. And because if in fact somebody, let's just run for the sake of argument, somebody's called up and said, Hey, we'll give you six for him. They smartly turn that down, but they also then recognize that they're not paying him enough to justify the amount of money as what you were saying a minute ago, if they really think he's a 10 plus million dollar player. So they get that deal done. But now they're in that tricky wicket situation. I call it the Kellen Acosta phenomena, which is when do you sell Ricardo Pepe? Do you hold on to him and risk the chance that something goes wrong? Uh, and he takes a downturn in form. Something happens, in, like in Kellen's case, off-field that kind of screws up his game. Uh, the market takes a dump. Where do you think that comfortable window of time for Dallas to actually sell the kid will be? Well, you have to do the business assuming the worst. You have to assume what happens if he's if we play out this contract, if, we, if, it's all, if the whole thing gets, is here, he's here the whole time. Can we handle the money? Would that be okay? Would be would be happy with it? And because you have to plan for the worst case scenario, so th- there's a certain part of both sides of this argument. Both the player and the co- and the team have to say to themselves, "Am I happy to be here?" In Pepe's case, for, for through 2026, you know, is the club going to be happy? So, yeah, they have to do that. So the other side of the coin is. Where's the risk return of how good he gets and how high his value goes? Well, if he leads the league in scoring this year and he's 18, or if he's even close to it, if he's in an MVP level conversation, or, or if he's just booth, the top goals, top American goal scorer, even. or top American goal scorer, you know, his values. Well, I think if he's just leads FC Dallas in scoring, that's not the same as if he leads the league in scoring. If he leads the league in scoring, or if he's in the top two or three, boy, it's going to be hard to get higher value than that because the odds that you repeat as golden boot are long. So, I mean, if he does it, the goods now, oh my goodness. Now, if he just leads FC Dallas and he's in the neighborhood of 10, well, then it's easy to sit on him, you know? And the bottom line is you have to have a valuation of the player on in your own personal books, not like public, but you have to know what you think he's worth. And if that offer comes, you go. It doesn't matter if it's this week, or if it's three years from now, you know, you have to, you have to have a business. Well, club like FC Dallas does. There's fantasy league owners that don't, you know, that play in insane amounts of money. They can do what the hell they want to, but this is not one of those clubs. Hmm. <laughs> this is the club, you know, that's going to come down to whatever their number is. If somebody calls and says, here's that 12 or here's that 10 or whatever it is, he's gone. I, I think it would, I don't think it'll be this window because it just happened, you know, and he's just now rocketing. So they're going to play it a little bit slow and see how it goes, you know, because if you can afford to turn down six, then you can wait, you know, and see what you can get. And they just got like 15 million in from like four other people. So, you know, they'll wait. Dan, you got a, you got a bet on the timing? Uh, not so much on the timing, but I was going to say, um, you know, you have to consider as well. You know, the American market is a hot market, but not really for, you know, strikers, young strikers with a great deal of potential. You haven't had one since Josie Outdoor. So I'm sure the Hunts are watching Darryl DK's situation since Orlando were in a position to turn down 10 million, try and hold out for 20 until a bunch of clubs said, no, 20 is far too much. Let's 
scale that back a little bit. So I'm, you know, I'm sure they're going to watch what what happens with uh, with DK going forward and, and and kind of adjust and set their stall based on that. Well, then there is also within the league uh, over in San Jose, they've got a teenager that's lighting up the scoreboard in um, uh, Cal, Caden Cal. Um, so that's probably the other story to watch to see if he uh, what kind of attraction he gets. Yeah, a little bit of a different kind of player, but absolutely. Uh, the, all of a sudden, there's a couple of Americans that have decent valuations. Pepe's a little, little younger than DK, obviously, but I think Dan's right that DK might set the market in this, this current transfer window. You got to Remember, it's the it's the incoming window. So, like the most window, we have till August fifth. Well, that doesn't count for outbounds. Outbounds, it's till September their windows 1st. close. What say it? What then? About September first. Yeah, I, I knew it was much later. I didn't know exactly when it was, depending on the country. So, like when, when we talk about, there's only a tiny bit of time left in MLS for these moves. Well, those are inbound moves, not outbound. And you know, if, if you sold Pepe now, you would destroy this team. They would be done, done. You know. I don't think that would happen unless the offer comes in just obscene. Yeah, I guess that is an interesting question is if somebody called up and said, hey, we'll give you a 9.5 plus, you know, some crazy percentage of the next time we sell him based on how this season is going. I, man, I, I don't know, Buzz. It just depends on what their evaluation is. That's what I mean. You have to have one. You have to stick to it. It's yeah. like, you know, whatever you think he's worth. Wait, you know, you have enough time to be a tiny bit patient. You know, now that you have a five-year deal, you can be a little bit patient with a five-year deal on the table. You know, he's going to make – the money has to have been good enough for him to – like, look, if you go to his agent, it's not Pepe, it's his agent. If you sure. go to his agent and say, we'll pay you 500000 a year for five years, you know, what'd you say? He'll be like, <laughs> no way in hell. Right. So the money has to have been good enough for him to be willing to stay for five years and certainly willing to stay for a year or two while you're waiting for the 10 mil to come in. I mean, I'm sure Pepe's betting on himself and the club is, too. But, um, you know, you have to have your valuation. You have to make sure you get it. And uh, not because this is the golden goose, dude, this guy. This is not you got lucky on a right back or you got a, a, a you're lucky on a central midfielder that you saw for full name. No, this is the guy, right? The, oh, the yeah. Money young, train. consistent yeah. goal scorers are the holy grail in the sport. No doubt yeah. about it. Uh, I, I completely agree with you here. Here's my, uh, here's my personal uh, fan nightmare is that Pepe continues to on a, to be on a kiss, a consistent scoring uh, run through the end of this season stays with the team for the start of the 2022 season and gets sold in July in the middle of the next season. That's potentially the most likely uh, scenario because the clubs have more money in the, in MLS summer and their winter than they do yeah. in, in, than MLS winter and their summer. You can, yeah. almost, you can almost write the script. That's exactly how this is going to go down is that he's, con- con- he's going to continue to – you know, help the team, be the leading scorer on the team, and then next season hopefully will be a better season. They're actually fighting for, you know, some sort of advanced position in the table, and then July will roll around and we'll never see the kid again. Yeah, that's probably the best odds that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But they will have probably gotten (laughs) 15-plus million dollars for him. Yeah, if he leads the league in scoring and, he, and next season he's like half of the season he's, he's on pace to do it again, uh, 15 is not unreasonable, mm. honestly. Man, can you imagine what those season ticket holder share dividend checks are going to look like? It's at $7, I think. <laughs> if, if you'll even get one. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's uh, t- let's take a look at the big four nothing win over the Galaxy. It was four. No- was it four one or four nothing? Four nothing. Four nothing. Okay. Thank you. I was getting things screwed up. I get the score wrong a lot on this deal. Um, now let's all be let's all just take an honesty pill for a second because um, while it is good to win and winning is always fun, it's not like the Galaxy rolled out their best eleven or even their best seven <laughs> on the field. Uh, for that particular win, and by the some p- very clear moment in the game, they had just kind of started to mail it in at that point. Well, you know, this is the Gold Cup window, and both teams are missing Gold Cup players, and both teams are missing players for various injuries. Chicharito's missing for who knows what is going on with that guy. I don't, I don't. It's not an injury, so who knows? Maybe he has COVID. Uh, I shouldn't say that because I really have no idea. It's complete fabrication. Um, <laughs> we would call yeah. it speculation. Speculation, yeah. Uh, the the big the big takeaway for me is that man playing at home is good in Major League Soccer. You know, it is. Yeah. I mean, this this club now they beat New England at home, they tied Vancouver at home and looked pretty decent doing it, and now they beat LA at home. I mean, home is nice, but the you know in this league, you know as well as anybody, you, you make your points that really matter on the road, and they can't do that. So it's like we're back to this big picture idea, and I, we'll get into it more later. That, that you got to figure out how to take this that you just did and get this on the road. And that's the, the everything at this point is how you do that. Um, the, the number one big change from the previous couple of games was the fact that Ricarte was in as a deep playmaking eight, his natural position, the thing he does best, a, a guy that can actually play forward from that position. No offense to Edwin, he didn't get dropped for his play because he was doing, we've seen progression in Edwin lately. You've talked about it. Ricarte was in there you know, to break open teams with his passing. And he did that. That first goal to Pepe was quintessential Ricarte out of that deep spot. So amen. Amen. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly what we've been asking for for a month here on this podcast and they finally did it and great for nothing. So that's the big takeaway. You know, all of the goals individually from Pepe uh, had kind of a special aspect to them. Did you have a particular favorite of the three, Dan, that you liked the most? That's really putting me on the spot now. Um, I'm trying to think. I I like this. I really uh, enjoyed the the second goal, the one of the uh, was it for corner. Yeah. Um, just you know, we kind of lament quick thinking in the box and the ball bouncing the wrong way. Uh, so to see you know the ball come off another player and Pepe instinctively go for goal is just uh, just it was kind of one. Of, it was the thing that people have been c- complaining about. FC Dallas not having for years when you had Maxi Aruti or Christian Coleman or whoever up front. So someone who can just stick his foot through the ball and know where the goal is is worth its weight in gold. That's why he's got the five-year contract. Did you have a favorite, Buzz? No, I, I didn't. None of them for me were like a goal where I thought, uh, oh, that one was different or special. It's the whole, as Dan said, it's the whole thing. It's the idea that there's a true – the guy – that he reminds me of most right now, the way he's playing is Ariel Graziani. The stylistically oh, wow. speaking, that's yeah. what he reminds me of. Yeah. The, the, the lanky body, the way he would run at people like Graziani did, you know, couldn't necessarily post up, but would bang when he needed to and could poach, you know, stylistically he reminds me of Graziani. Now that's a really nice comparison from FC Dallas history that no one in this podcast listens to it. Other than us three is going to know, <laughs> not even Dan, but you know, like for so to me, that's the most exciting thing. Like watching a guy, the progression of a guy who even as early as late as February, you know, in the first 
two months of the season, he was this was not the Pepe that we have now. There's been a remarkable change. And I actually have a question I'm going to come back to in a minute about this because I want to throw out a hypothesis and see what you guys think. But, you know, that's for me the big takeaway is that I, I just love the whole thing, the whole package, the moment this guy is having, the fact that the contract was like right there when it happened, uh, the great story about his doing it for his grandfather, who he's named after, you know, that whole thing and died the anniversary of his passing. I mean, th- th- it's just remarkable, man. Yeah, I want to go back to the the thing that I my observation was the really connecting piece was Ricarte because if there is a shortcoming in Pepe's game, it's that he's not very good at coming back and holding the ball up. That that part of his game is missing, and when the team asks him to do it, uh, I I think that really gets uh, that gets exposed in his game. But when he's allowed to run into space, and you go back and think about the two goals that he scored against New England. Um, which were, you know, had real moments of beauty unto themselves. And then you think about the runs that he made to put himself in the positions. That first goal is a great example. I mean, he kind of starts that entire sequence. Ricarte spots him, drives a ball through the slot, and he makes a very nice first touch and then finishes so calmly. That just belies his age, and that's really what his strength is. I do wonder, though, how long-term... Lucci's going to figure out a way to be able to continue to do that because obviously other teams, better teams, are going to figure out ways to kind of restrict his ability to make those runs. Well, I mean, in the end, that's why you got to have a good team and not one guy, you know, because if you can shut out one guy, you're in trouble. Um, you know, having somebody that can play passes out of midfield is really going to be is really important when you have a striker like this, you know, because you're right. The reason why they don't start him on the road the last couple of games is because he can't hold the ball up. You know, well, I mean, it, there's just something to be said for using him anyway so he can learn and go through that process. But, you know, in the meantime, other people have to be participating and doing special things. And and then again on Pepe, too, it's like having people focus on you will be the next stage of his evolution. You know, everything is always about a progression, particularly with young kids. Him being a marked man, that's the next challenge. That's what you've got to overcome. you got to find a way to create space for yourself a lot of guys get to this level and never can create space for themselves all right now is it is it overly negative of me to highlight the fact that while it's neat that an 18 year old is scoring all these goals for fc dallas it's not so neat that the by and large the only person scoring goals is their 18 year old uh, I'd be interested to see what Dan says on this, but I feel like a lot of times when you have a guy who's scoring bags and bags of goals that everyone else drops off. Like I remember those Cunningham and, and Cooper seasons. I remember those guys being pretty much it. Like the next best guy had like three or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing if you've got a midfielder going off and everyone's kind of benefiting by proxy, but if it's uh if it's a striker then yeah, it does seem like, uh, the wingers don't necessarily get as involved, which, well, I mean, that wasn't happening anyway. So, <laughs> that's yeah, kind of that's kind of the real genesis of yeah. my question is is more is the, is this a byproduct of hey look we're just going to take goals from anybody even if it's just one guy or does that really highlight that there's a larger problem uh, within the team? Well, a little bit too is the formation that this is all happening in this Pepe explosion is this. Four four one one, if you will, with the wings are playing deeper. You know, they're not quite like old school wide midfielders, but they're definitely playing deeper, and they're definitely Dallas is definitely playing a mid to low block, 
with a sort of a counterattacking aspect to it, a much more quicker vertical aspect, not this super slow million passes build out that we saw back in 2019. You know, so some we remember the one game we talked about how much of an island Pepe was on when those mids yeah. didn't get forward. You know, that's what happens when you don't have the other guys participating, but because he is on an island and that's why he is the only guy scoring. If you don't have those other players come up and pull the defense away, then he's boxed and nothing's going to happen. So that's team game, man. You got to have everybody contributing even to get Pepe scoring on these goals. The other uh, little bit of difference in this particular game was the start of the young Hungarian Shun. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Did we all decide that's how it's officially pronounced? The Shun? Shun, I believe uh, so, yeah. Shun. Uh, Buzz, where are you on the young Hungarian? Oh, I quite liked it. Uh, I mean, certainly not, you know, game altering like in a first, but for a first start, I thought, uh, remember, was it a week before that? We talked about how Paxson was the only guy that would like turn and go at people, mm-hmm. you know, that could change the flow and change it. Well, Shun was doing a little bit of that. So I, I liked it. I mean, especially on the left where the only other person that had any success at all was Paxton. You know, I, I think it was kind of nice. I mean, I, I want to see more of it and see where it goes. Hey, Dan, were you as surprised as I think the rest of us were that not only did Paxton start his third game in a row, am I right in saying he ended up playing the entire game? Did he get subbed out on that third game? Uh, he did for Obreon in the 85th minute. That's right. So, that's a, again, he kind of broke his record for most minutes this season then. Yeah, and, you know, I, by and large, Paxton continues to be, other than really Pepe, the most consistently overall good best player on the team, right? Am I wrong? Well, he's certainly the only guy that, like, really is sort of special, that does interesting, fascinating things and catches you off guard. You know, that is a difference maker. I think definitely we can agree on that. I think as well, he's he's one of those guys that he just does, you know, he does everything at 110%. Is uh you know, one of those more intense players, which actually I, I kind of noticed something about uh, Shun was doing was pretty similar. He was getting his nose bent out of shape a few times and going on off at players and, you know, watching it kind of turn into aggression in his next play. That, that can be a good a sign that you're doing good things is when people start fouling the cr- you like crazy, <laughs> you know? It's like they couldn't stop him without fouling him, so that's a good sign, both Paxton and Shun. But I mean, yeah, it's on the mentality, it's just it's good to see someone that you know that fires them up and it goes into the next the next run at goal or the next run at a defender, rather than okay now I'm going to hide in my shell. Yeah. Now I do think the most underreported aspect and maybe the really the biggest thing to come out of the game that has to be taken away as a positive is the fact they got a clean sheet, which they hadn't in a while, and they didn't have any massive defensive brain farts. Yeah, the individual brain farts have been the detriment of this team lately. Uh, Nikosi Tafari continues to elevate his play every game. Uh, Ryan Hollingshead, who I thought deserved to get benched like two games ago, has tightened up his defense a little bit. He's been less adventurous going forward, which means he's not getting beat over the top as much. Justin Che continues to progress. You know, he's got enough pace that if he does make a mistake, he can recover. That's really nice. He did that like two or three times in that game. Got his own first assist, too. Ain't no mistake. Justin Chase still making mistakes, but he can recover and, and get it and get back. I mean, at this point, oddly, <laughs> Brisson's like the weak link in the back. <laughs> and he actually cleaned it up a little bit this last game, but maybe LA doesn't have much of a threat. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. 
with those two spots, those center backs. Well, with the win, Dallas now jumps up from the cellar, kinda, <laughs> to 10th place. They're tied uh, with San Jose and Vancouver on points and ahead of Austin, who's only played 13 games. All four of those teams uh, are tied on points per game at just under uh, one point per game, which, by the way, is not good. Uh, mm. And uh, next up for Dallas is a trip to Kansas City, followed by a trip to, of course, Seattle. Yeah, it's just just for fun, the quick schedule update is other than those two games you just mentioned, then they do get three games at home, which is that's nice, right? Get a little one of them's against Austin, one's against Sporting again, I think, and, and Seattle. So they're tough games, but they're home games. And then it's six of seven on the road going into late September. So this schedule just does them no uh, good bones at all. I mean, it, it's a mess. No favors. No favors. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more next week, but the fact that the game on the 7th is at home against Austin is already shaping up to be a bit mm. of a controversial one unto itself based on the number of Austin fans that are reportedly uh, headed up I-35 in an attempt to take over the stadium. <laughs> but we'll talk more about that next yeah. week. So Kansas City is coming up uh, this weekend, 7.30 at Children's Mercy Park. Um, I'm assuming... Buzz, you're going to tell us it's going to be the same group as the last game? Uh, I wouldn't assume that, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Since you went to practice, I mean, you're, yeah. you're probably going to give us a little bit of a training report. Oh, I'm definitely going to give you a training report. Here, This right here will be your favorite part of the whole thing, Peter. Are you ready? Andres Ricarte drew a yellow card in the last game. Therefore, he is uh, out. suspended for this game. That's right. I forgot about that. Yep. That's right. And then here's the other things you're going to love. Uh, because it's the middle of the season, this is the time of year when players get knocks. Little things, you know, they may or may not end up on the injury report. You know, it might just be a one-game thing. Wait, are you about to tell me that they're going to roll out the North Texas team on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> no, not the whole team. There's a good chance, as because this is when knocks happen, there's a good chance that the two players that missed training today are Justin Shea and Ricardo Pepe. So it's possible they're not going to be available. Now it's not anything to get yeah, at this point worried about because this is when people get this kind of stuff. Guys get games off and training sessions off. It happens, you know, so there's a chance that those two guys are missing. There's also a chance you're both playing. So, but they, they worked on options other than that. So even if, even if both can go, Ricarte's out, which we just said, right? So you got to replace him. There's not really anybody left that can do that because Brian Acosta is back. And so let's do the Brian Acosta timeline. He's back, but because of protocols from COVID-19 and all those kinds of things, I don't. it doesn't look like he's going to be able to play this weekend. Because like today, he couldn't participate. He was off with a guy doing whatever recovery kind of work because he's not allowed to mingle yet, you know, and since they're going on the road that there has more stricter rules, you know, close contact, blah, 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 whatever. So Acosta probably isn't available, which really leaves you only Evan Surreal to go back in there and a double six look, which is kind of a drag. Uh, not that I don't think Evan's playing well because he has been, but there's not really somebody that can pull strings from there. Cause Tanner's gone. Thomas is gone. Ricarte suspended and Acosta can't play yet. 
So there's that. So you're just full of chock full of news. Yeah, chock full of news. So let's, if Pepe can go, Pepe's in, in the middle. He'll be the nine. I think there's no question. If Che can go, Che can go. That's fine. If they can't go, the thing that they worked on most today, I think you might actually like, is Jesus as a nine with Paxton underneath in the 10 off striker position. Oh, you're chock full of good news. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. That's exciting. That's actually a thing I would love to see how it goes because that's a fun combo. I mean, if Pepe is sold next week, that's the formation forever, right? I mean, Jesus and Paxton. Uh, and then if, if Che can't go, it's probably Emma to Amasi on the right. Uh, rather than your favorite flip Ryan to the right and play Nelson. Yeah, I think, I think ML will get a look. But um, yeah, I think Shun will keep his spot. You know, what happens on if Paxton has to go inside, who's the other wing? It could be Tuomasi again if Che can go. It could be uh, Hader O'Brien. You know, he, he looked bright ish coming off the bench. I like him off the bench, actually. I think that change of pace after Paxton's worn you out, I think that's a good change of pace. Uh, I got all kinds of good stuff for you there. Sorry. No, that's all fantastic. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's all good insight and troublesome in some ways and, and, uh, interesting in others. Um, I I was going to ask Dan a specific question. I got to think of what it is again. Hold on. Well, let me interject while you're thinking that both hedges and Martinez took part today, uh, full run out, full participation, fully. They look both look really healthy, moving well, Obviously, they're both out of shape, game shape. So I don't think that they're ready to contribute this week, but maybe next week, possibly, maybe the week after. They both should be. I mean, even this week, theoretically, they're in competition for a spot. And next week, they for sure will be. So it's just a question of is is Hedges or Martinez fit enough for me to sit Brisson or Tafari? I think it would be Brisson, personally. I think Tafari's playing great. Uh, the question that I was going to uh, submit to Dan is about the one guy that we haven't talked about uh, and is the newest member of the team, uh, Fugundo Quinone. And I'm wondering where Dan sits on him so far in terms of performance. Do you feel like you've got a good measure of his uh, skill sets? We've seen a little bit of everything, right? We saw, uh, I can't remember what the game was, but he like, he set up like five really good shots. Char- oh, it was the New England game. Um, you know, he had a hand in in both goals and uh, looked the part going forward and suddenly we were like, oh, so this is really a ball playing six like we were promised. Um, we've seen him be pretty rash in the challenge. We've also seen him be very measured. Um, the only thing I think we haven't really seen is him, too, you know, moving too much with the ball. Um, off the ball, laterally, uh, you know, real good solid side-to-side movement ideal for that single six but that doesn't necessarily help you for the four four one one so uh yeah i mean it'd be interesting to see what they do especially if like buzz mentioned that they have to do, uh, bring in edwin as the as the eight that they kind of go with uh faku as more of the 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 ball player um, in the midfield or have them kind of drop and and switch as they please all right, so uh, Kansas City is next, and then they have to go to Seattle, which, by the way, I can't tell you uh, how uh, insane I found the article in the SB Nation, the Seattle blog uh, this week, the article written about the emotional draining that the <laughs> Sounders have had to suffer through after losing a game at home and having to listen to their victorious opponents sing a song in the other locker room, and after, you know, all the 
media attention they got for fielding a team filled with teenagers and winning a game. Oh, my God, the, the terrible, terrible things that the poor Sounders are having to go through. So we get to enjoy both Kansas City and then the Sounders and then way too many Austinites showing up in Frisco and then to face Kansas City and Seattle yet again. That's going to be an amazing run of five games for this team based on what we've seen so far this season. Wow, that's an awful sandwich when you think about it. It is. Sporting Seattle, Austin, Seattle Sporting. That's terrible. Who did that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a lettuce sandwich. Nobody wants that. Yeah. uh, uh, Yeah, so that is going to be an amazing run. Now, when we do the podcast next week, we'll have two of of those games to talk about and then to preview at least two of them, including the Austin game, the inaugural uh, Dallas-Austin battle. So, yeah, it's a, it is an interesting time. And then and in many retrospects, Buzz, the way that you, you, you couched it earlier, you were right. This is actually the easier part of the schedule based on what happens after this is over. Yeah. Yeah. When you have two on the road and three at home, you're almost like, oh, sweet, I got three at home. Of course, those two, those, two of those teams have only five losses combined between them. But it's after that you got six or seven on the road that's going to be, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, it's a it's a funny time because uh, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, uh, and and we are recording it on the heels of the news that Joey Gallo, the baseball great for the Texas Rangers, is being traded to the club's nemesis, the New York Yankees, and the amount of vitriol, hate, and anger about the Rangers' ownership and how much people who are Ranger fans want them to sell the club, I find really funny and interesting based on all of the you know current status of the Hunt brothers uh, and FC Dallas. And I, in many ways, I have to say, I think Dan and Clark are probably better owners than the guys that own <laughs> the Rangers uh, when you really start to think about it in all the details. Yeah, the Dallas Rub, White, and Blue fandom is not going well right now. It's the other two that are doing better. Yeah, and I do have to point out that this was the season when both teams are, you know, cellar-dwelling, and this is also the same season they decided to do the Texas Rangers FC Dallas mashup shirt night (laughs) (laughs) at the stadium. (laughs) So if you bought one of those shirts, you should hold on to it. It'll be a collector's item someday, no doubt about it. I actually do like all that interplay they're doing with all the other pro teams. That I, I, adds a little, I don't know, legitimacy to the FC Dallas brand. In my, I think that works. We have to save the 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 one for the Austin game for next podcast because yeah. that's secretly <laughs> mad genius in some ways. <laughs> that yeah. the, what they're trying to pull off for the Austin game that does that'll make me laugh. I was just saying, it's amazing what happens when you try marketing. Yeah, high tech marketing. Yeah, it is amazing. Which leads me to uh, kind of a, a thing that drove me nuts this week, which is on the you know on the heels of the announcement of Pepe being you know signed to this new deal and all the money, comes all of the adulation from the national soccer media and soccer Twitter about how off how awesome this is, such good business. While subsequently, at the exact same time, the team is in last place essentially and has a roster of coleslaw. And I, I just I have a hard time feeling super great about all of this stuff when the on-field product is just so bad. And that, that always drives me nuts when the national media comes in and starts talking about smart business. 
Well, which part is it that you don't like? Is it do you not think it's smart business, or do you just think it's annoying that that becomes the buzzword when it's like the team's crap? Who cares if it's smart business? Uh, I, I, I. The easiest way for me to say it is this: is that the team is bad, and I wish more focus nationally was put on how this team is run on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and all the shortcomings that it has on the field that is preventing it from becoming a MLS Cup contender on a regular basis and actually winning an MLS Cup rather than the here the uh, here and there pop-ins whenever they decide to do something business-wise and gives kind of a national sheen to the team that I'm not 100% sure it fully deserves. Does that make sense? Is that unfair? Yeah, no, I, it, I think it's totally fair. It's interesting that the national coach noticed. I mean, you remember Bearhalter, I think it was right before the U.S. game the other day. Somebody asked him about Lucci, and his comment was, I feel bad for the guy that keeps selling all his players. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is an awareness nationally and the people that know soccer that this is happening here, that Lucci's got this roster of salad and that they've made mistakes in, with at various positions that they've not, and they've sold off guys like a week before the season. That was the big one. You know, so I, I wish that uh, for a long time, Peter, we've always joked that the national media ignore FC Dallas. There is a coastal bias in media. If you work in media, you know that. Sure. Dallas has always been one of the redheaded stepchilds of this league. Back even when they were the league-owned team, they got ignored to the great extent. The league's own website ignores them for a lot of the time until Pepe gets a hat trick. You know, so I, I, I'm with you that I, I wish people were a little more dialed in nationally about what's going on here. Sometimes I think you read the comments, you're like, man, did you even watch the game? You know? Well, yeah, well, my other, but the the side part of it is is that you know people of the national level make a comment, and I think Dallas fans feel good about it. But what I want to make sure everybody understands is they don't care about FC Dallas as an on field product. They like this smart business because it's good for the league overall or how it affects the quality of the national team. It's not a compliment about how the team is run about the things that you and I care about, Buzz, which is, is this team ever going to win an MLS Cup? It's all about all the other stuff that I think is uh, sometimes gets a bit annoying. It hit the nail on the head. It's a bunch of guys who work for MLS saying, you know, in a little circle jerk, saying, isn't our league wonderful, making all these players for the national team because all the Euro snobs think that everyone should just go to Europe at the first chance. They don't care that FC Dallas is not got a pot to piss in compared to the rest of the league. They don't care that FC Dallas has played some awful soccer this year. They just care that Pepe went to a national team camp earlier in the year and that they can maybe write a headline and, hey, hopefully pay me to do it, uh, to, to write something saying, hey, look, Pepe from El Paso to Frisco to the national team, great. Yeah, let me throw in here that my annoyance isn't necessarily directed at the national soccer media people themselves because they are just a reflection of the reality, right? Like they don't have a good reason to spend a lot of time talking about this team. This is my general attitude about FC Dallas and its lack of local media attention, which is the way this works is media pays attention to things that that uh generate the need to have attention paid to them and that's not something this club does very well so when they do something like do a good piece of smart business like buying or uh, re-signing pepe to a new deal 
that's fine that they do it. What I, my reflection is, is I wish the club gave them a reason to be positive and feel good about them and cover them the rest of the season as well. And, and again, this is all a reflection of just how poorly the team is run overall in terms of its roster management and the decision makings they make and who they hire to do certain things. That's my anger. That's where I, that's why it annoys me. And I, and I may not have made that or explained that very well from the onset. I, I think you make a fair point, but, uh, the thing that bothered me this week, not to change it on you, Peter, but like I saw this comment a couple of times, and this is something I wanted to circle back to too. That uh, the coach is an idiot because he didn't play Pepe from start Pepe from game one the whole time. And if you remember, if, if you listen to this podcast, and uh, Peter, obviously you do because you're part of it. <laughs> uh, you remember from the beginning of this season, we talked about the idea that when your owner buys a $3 million player, that dude's going to start and he's going to get like five, six, seven games. And that's what exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, at the, we I remember on your show, you know, you guys asked me if you and Andy asked me if I was okay with Pepe just getting minutes coming off the bench, which he was getting time. I said, yeah, I, I was okay with that because he wasn't, when he was getting the start and he was getting, doing good things, he wasn't reacting like you want people to react uh, same happened when Dante Sealy got his goal. The reaction wasn't right. What you want people to do is, is not be complacent. When they have a good moment, you want them to take that moment, come into training, and, and then take another step and like bust it. And Pepe wasn't doing that. So eventually, he gets his shot, and he starts to progress. And I, my question is, my hypothesis is, is if you had started Pepe from the get-go this year, would he be doing what he's doing? Or was there progression in Pepe because he had to force his way past a guy like Frank O'Hara? He had to beat a guy out that had so much inertia in the starting position for whatever reason. He still had to bring it every day enough and show enough to have the coach be able to then bench that guy. Because if he doesn't have that progression, doesn't have that challenge, would he be where he is today? Pepe today is not Pepe from February. That's my contention. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think anybody who's critical of Lucci for not starting him at the at the beginning of the season is dead wrong. Where they would be right is if Lucci continues to not start him when they're on the road because he's worried about build-up play and those types of things. I think yeah. at this point, based on how the season's going, he has to start Pepe as often as Pepe is available to be started. Yeah, and I think he's reached that point. I mean, I, he and I had a nice conversation today. And while he didn't specifically say that, I, th- I think that we talked about home versus road mentality, and he talks a lot about Pepe. And I think I think they've reached a point where they know they got to go with Pepe the rest of the way. You know, oh, part of that to. too is that Franco. You you have to be seeing enough from Franco Hara in training now, because now that's the reverse. Franco Hara has to do enough in training that you say, "Oh shit, I got to get him in there." Well, that ain't happening. You know, we <laughs> we know that ain't happening. So it's gonna be Pepe until he obviously he gets a knock and can't go. Although in this case, I think even if if, it, if that is true, he can't this week. I think it'll be Jesus. So, Buzz, just, just saying about, uh, you know, the progression. Uh, obviously, you know, we're two of the ones that are probably a bit more privileged to have more time speaking with the players and coaches. But to me, Pepe came in February, you know, and I remember you saying, like, you know, you'd heard he had this air of confidence. And then when we really got to, you know, see and speak to the guys, you know, it was almost like cockiness. Um, and he's really dialed that back over the last few months. Not kind of like internalized like he was in the USL one season, but, you know, more of a humbled guy who's 
there and like, oh no, I'll, I'll I'll fight you for the ball. I'll fight for that shot. But at the same time, not, you know, he's not counting his goals before he scored them. Yeah, one of the things we talk about with the kids that come out of the academy, particularly the ones that are the hot shots, their whole life, they've been the best player in their team by far. Pepe for sure is that guy. And then you get to the pro level and everybody in the pro level, when you get there, is better than you. And so all of a sudden, for the first time in your life, you have to grind and you have to bring it every single day, not just like on the weekends. And you have to learn how to take care of your body because it is a grind. It's like an eight month season, not even long as in England, but it's still long, you know, and that's the, the, the progression of Pepe this year was from a kid last year into this winter through to this season. He was a kid and the body is starting to mature. He's starting to fill out. He's not there yet. He's still 18. We still want to see a little more strength, a little more ability to hold guys off. That'll come over the next year or two. Right? So mental progression, progression of maturity, progression of determination, as Dan said, progression of humbleness to be willing to grind. All that stuff matters. And if Pepe hadn't done all that, he would not be where he is now doing what he's doing now. Like there's a reason why you see articles written by people that know what they're talking about that say something like, it's no longer hype. It's now real, right? That's where we are with Pepe. He's now the real deal. He's now, he's not no longer the player for the future. He's the player for now. So that's exciting. So, Buzz, since you are the originator of the L train, yeah, uh, you know, nickname, do we need to change it to something else since it's no longer a hype train anymore? No, because the the L train hype train thing was only one facet of it, and, and it was almost a tongue in cheek facet because people were hyping him so much even then. The other two facets of it were uh, number one, the way he plays, which is like gets ahead of steam and comes at you, like that sort of driving kind of gameplay was Mm -hmm. the second aspect. And the third aspect was my belief at the time that his success was inevitable and that he was, because he had just come into the the North Texas team and had like the opening day hat trick. And it was like, dude, this dude's coming like a train. He's coming. And that's where the (laughs) L trend, just be ready. Like, and here we are a year and a half later. Here he is, L trend. And it's so successful. The club now is selling uh, Pepe (laughs) is Thomas the train. Yeah. Uh, image like shirts on on their store. Yeah, well, I remember but. I remember a specific day when like because we started selling the shirt like really quickly after that first hat trick when I started calling him El Tren. We started selling that t shirt, and then he somebody asked him why did they call you El Tren on social media, and he's like, I have no idea. You'd have to ask Third Degree, and he added me at Third Degree, and so I so he knew already that we were calling him that, and then so I explained those the three elements of it, and he liked my reply. So he obviously was on board. And the team oh, obviously him in the locker room. He loves it. Oh, great. Good. So, yeah, I mean, the team social media guys grabbed onto it. I mean, listen, when a name works, it works. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's perfect. Uh, oh, you know, look at me say it's perfect. It's a good nickname, I think. So that's exciting. And all those T-shirts has made you a millionaire. Yes. All ten dollars I've gotten from the Peppy T-shirts, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The all T-shirts right. don't make a lot of money. <laughs> On to other stuff. Yeah. All right, Dan, why don't you uh, catch everybody up what's going on with the uh, little Denton Diablos uh, who have made it up the chain uh, in their league. Uh, Yeah, they are. uh, We kind of haven't really mentioned them too much, but uh, they are headed to the final four for the uh, entire... uh, Sorry, what's it called? Uh, The uh, MPSL. Wow. Head into Cleveland this Saturday after hosting 
um, the regional games, including the Western Regional Final in Denton. Um, they're also uh, the top eight in the priority list, which means, uh, you know, with the news of the uh, 2022 Open Cup qualifiers, that they're all but in. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, hopefully Denton go on winning Cleveland and, uh, you know, at least give DFW one soccer championship. Is that team mostly made up of college uh, players? Yeah. It's mostly made up of kids from Midwestern State and, and um, ah. you know, some of those, uh, you know, not SMU, but like a couple, like uh, Michael Hitchcock's. Yeah, Michael Hitchcock's kid plays. He plays uh, in college. He plays for them, center back. You know, their, their coach and the, uh, one of their strikers named Sam Code, C-O-A-D, I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly, Code, uh, are up, made it to the all-regional team. So they're up for the national team, the you know, the national best 11 or whatever. So good luck to them. You can go vote for them on the NPSL side if you like. Um, yeah, they're they're a really bright team. That that organization is doing terrific things. You know, this they they won their league for their their conference for the first time. Now they're going on this deep run. You know, national semifinal. It's exciting, man. Support local soccer. Absolutely, there are uh, several really interesting small little amateur clubs that have big ambitions. Uh, Diablos is one, or Irving FC is another that I think of. Um, the guys that are operating Lone Star Republic and all the things that they do, um, I think, you know, is, is really inspiring. And you really hope big things for those guys uh, as they move forward. So the Diablos, uh, Saturday at 6 o'clock, and you can go to their website to look for tickets. Now, Buzz, uh, you talked about this at the beginning of this particular episode. You saw a happy check at, uh, at the Death Star when you went to the U.S. game. Um, I was just wondering, you, you know, when was the last time you watched a soccer game inside the stadium? And did you have any particular thoughts since clearly yeah. the 2026 committee is working very diligently to try to get some significant World Cup games played there? Well, I mean, obviously I see Cowboy games all the time but um, there. But the last time I was at a soccer game there, I, I know I was at the first ever event there, which was a soccer game uh, for, for the Gold Cup. That was, boy, how many years ago was that? That was a decade ago. <laughs> wow. Um, I don't know that I've been to a soccer game there since. So my impression was sitting there watching it was this field is really narrow. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Now, the length is great. The length is fine. But it's very like a candy bar almost. I mean, it's like super narrow. And, it, and it's not just like I didn't like try and count them off or anything. But I've seen enough soccer fields that my mind was just going – this thing doesn't look right, you know, and even yeah. like the corner hash marks are really close to the, the penalty box. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's, and I know you guys know much more about how narrow it actually is than I do, but just watching the game that was being played on it, like it was Canada, Costa Rica that I was watching, you know, and the defense is playing very narrow. There's not really any width play. Everything's being forced through the middle because there's not really anywhere to go wide to stretch the defense that way. So uh, yeah, it's narrow. <laughs> Yeah, it's about it. It's somewhere just north of sixty-eight yards because at the previous Gold Cup, uh, my co-host on the kick around, Andy and I, were down at field level prior to the game, and I actually posted a photo of this. 
and I was close enough to really get a good sense as to how wide the field is based on the 10-yard hash mark from the corner flag. Now, remember, there's an additional yard for the arc at the flag, so it's right. 11 to there, then whatever space, and then you got your 44 yards for your box and the repeat on the other side. So my calculation is it's somewhere just north of 68, which, by the way, is incredibly too narrow for World Cup games. Uh, what everybody should remember is when AT&T Stadium was first pitched as an idea, getting, uh, winning the rights to have World Cup games, specifically a World Cup final, was built into the plan. And when they get to the point where the World Cup is being played, there are plans in place to actually reconstruct the those corners of the stadium, which would then... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna use the word remove, but it's not really remove uh, those field level suites, suites which are currently keeping them from being able to go another you know make it a 72 wide because the plan is to make it 72 yards wide. Um, that's what's in all the all the media uh, stuff they're putting out about 2026. Um, and so if you don't like the width of the field now, don't worry. That's not what the width of the field would be for a World Cup game. Um, and two, currently the way the field is constructed is, remember, all of the artificial turf at AT&T Stadium is literally removed after Dallas Cowboy games. They roll it up in big rolls, and they roll it out, and it's just concrete. That is just sod sitting on concrete for those games. It's incredibly hard for a World Cup game uh, I'm assuming there are plans for them to actually install a turf, a grass field, and let it grow for a period of time uh, before the World Cup games. So that's that's the best of my understanding about all of that. Wow, I hope so, because it does not roll very well. Covering the games the last couple of weeks, there you could uh, in the Mexico game two weeks ago. You know they were wearing their white jerseys, and the spray paint from the seams of the field was just uh, coming up terribly on on all the kits. Yeah, it's a. It, it, it they would be better off playing on the on the artificial turf field that is that they can put down at AT and T Stadium versus that grass thing, right? It's it, just it was, it's kind of funny in the mix zone afterwards. All the U.S. players were complaining about it like crazy. Um, I think the Mexico game because you know they had that injury to uh, Chucky Lozano, uh, you know, and several times the uh, the fake grass monsters come to bite Messi or somebody. Uh, you know, they were talking about how it just comes in on trays and it clips together. And, you know, you putting sod down is absolutely fine. That's, I mean, that's how that's how most pitches are, are laid. You know, you don't just seed them. You lay you, you lay sod down and you seed it and you water it heavily to, to let it bind. But the key is it didn't bind because it doesn't have like two weeks of constant watering to, you know, to allow those seams to close up. No, it's put down like days before the, the game. And it's ripped up immediately after. Um, I've left that stadium before after a U.S. game a couple of years ago and they already had the digger out and they pulled up half of the pitch. Yeah. So, I, you know, I want everybody to understand that is excited about the idea of World Cup games coming to Dallas. Uh, do understand that there, are, you know, there has been a long-standing plan to modify the construction of the stadium to allow for a 72-yard wide field. But realize that's only four yards wider than what it is currently. Um, no, wait, I'm sorry. That's not correct. That's wrong. That would be six yards wider if I'm doing my math correctly. Uh, from 68 to 72. 72 would only be two yards narrower than Toyota Stadium. 
Yeah, uh, they were saying. I think somewhere in the in the in, in the information, it claims it's the same width as either the Cotton Bowl or Toyota Stadium. One of the two. I can't remember. I, I know the bid book said seventy four. I mean, you, you mentioned seventy two, and then Toyota Stadium is always listed as seventy four. Maybe uh, you know what? Maybe the bid book. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not seventy two. It is seventy four because that makes more sense. But again, the the bottom line is there is a plan to. Uh, be able to put down a proper, a properly wide uh, soccer pitch for, for a World Cup game if and if and when that comes. In the meantime, those poor guys are forced to play on that absolute disaster of a field in those very important games, and it, it's just and it changes the game, right? Because the field's so narrow, like you said, Buzz, yeah. it changes the way that you defend and how you play wide. It it absolutely changes the game in every way, shape, and form. And I think it actually uh, benefits a team like Jamaica in those situations against the U.S. That's what Matt Turner said. He said they, you know, they didn't spend, the, you know, so during the Gold Cup, everyone gets to train wherever they want and uh, they can elect to train at the stadium. The U.S. didn't. I think they trained at, they trained at Toyota Soccer Center um, instead. <clears throat> I think only Canada or Jamaica elected to train at AT&T Stadium. Um, and one thing Matt Turner said was, the ball was zipping around like crazy. It was like hitting concrete, and Jamaica kind of knew how to play with that, and we had to spend half a game figuring that out. Yeah. So, yeah, you can absolutely get in there, get a quick, go- get an early goal if you kind of know the bounce of the field. Yeah, this is the same sort of reaction you get from somebody who jumps onto turf without training on it in a couple of days. The ball bounces and zips, you know. It's, a, it, it's obviously not as bad as turf because it's at least still grass, but if it's grass with concrete underneath it, it's still, you know, the ball was definitely even the broadcasters mentioned it. The ball was bouncing more higher than you would expect. And it was a little troublesome for both teams, really, even though Jamaica had trained there. Well, uh, and just to drive it all home, I, we talked about this on our radio show last weekend. Andy and I went to the Cotton Bowl for the Mexico-El Salvador game. And, man, I'll be damned if that still isn't the finest soccer pitch in the land uh, that they get to play on down there. That, that thing looks amazing, even from way up yeah. high. Yeah, I, I was I was on the sideline for the Club America exhibition game against Monterey the other day, and it's just gorgeous down there. Yeah, for those who are relatively new uh, to the game, or you know, didn't ever get a chance to enjoy the Dallas Burn back in the Cotton Bowl, let it be known that it was it was generally agreed to that back in the day, uh, the pitch at the Cotton Bowl was the absolute best soccer pitch in the country. Uh, back in those days and I I'm it's still very very nice I don't know where it falls in line with all these new stadiums that have been built since then but it is an absolute putting green if you ever get a chance to go uh, it always blew me away that they would let people go walk on the field for the July 4th game all everybody used to go lay down on the field for the fireworks <laughs> like no no that's too pristine don't go down there and and touch it uh, but that was a lot of fun to be back in the Cotton Bowl for a for a big game and a huge crowd. That was fantastic. It was well, such it helps. A good time. The, it helps they only play like two American football games a year on it, or four, or whatever it is, rather than every week. Oh, you know, yeah, makes a big difference. It and is for very anyone well. that hasn't seen a game on that field. I think uh, Club America and Chivas are playing there at the start of October. In a oh, friendly. are they really? Yeah, they were giving out flyers uh, after the. Uh, one of the two Mexico games I went to there last week or week before. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you if you can ever get a chance to go watch a a game that has meaning to it, and I, you know, friendlies are great, but games that have value and importance to them, 
uh, especially international games at the Cotton Bowl, uh, dude, you you absolutely should treat yourself to that opportunity because it is fantastic place to watch a game, uh, and to walk around Fair Park is always uh, a blast as well. My, my it was kind of cool to look out of the uh, press box windows, uh, the little catering room, and they had half a midway lit up as the fan zone. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. My first ever uh, soccer viewing at that stadium, Peter, is uh, the World Cup. I think it was the Germany South Korea game, the three two comeback. Yeah. I think it was. I think that was my first Cotton Bowl I, game. I would bet that that was the first time a lot of people saw a soccer game at the Cotton Bowl. Was yeah, because be. the, the the tornado never played at the Cotton Bowl, did they? I don't think so. They played at SMU, then they played at uh, Irving Stadium where the Cowboys were. The Texas Stadium, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I they don't, ever played at the them. Cotton Bowl. I yeah, don't, I don't remember them so. playing at the Cotton Bowl. I mean, I certainly never saw them at the Cotton Bowl. I saw them in in, in Irving, so I don't, I, you know. Well, I saw them at Owen B. Is where I would typically go yeah. the games. Is you know when they were playing at SMU back in the day. So, um, and I still challenge Pablo Mar to prove out that the monkey celebration, the live monkey, was more than a one-off thing because I don't ever, I don't know anybody that remembers that. <laughs> I totally you know what I'm talking that. about? I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember it at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it either. And I've talked to a whole bunch of people that had season tickets, and nobody remembers the live monkey climbing on the goal <laughs> celebration. I just don't remember that. Which, oh, wait, that was the other thing I wanted to say. I really would love to urge the front office to switch. I don't know what that song is they play, that that goofy little song they play on goals. Man, how cool would it be if they go back to Disco Inferno? Yeah. I thought you were going to ask him to bring back the goal monkey. Well, that would be cool too. Yeah. I mean, having a, a a monkey climb on the goal after <laughs> uh, after a score would be fantastic. But to hear just oh, yeah. that that weird little uh, EDM song they play, is, uh, I, Disco Inferno would be so much yeah. better. Yeah, it really would be because it it's a nod to history. It's a great song for a goal celebration anyway. Right, and it would be a nod to the club history. Right, I mean, you know, it's not the equivalent of "You'll Never Walk Alone," but I mean, it could, it could kind of be like that. It could be like a throwback thing. I love it. Yeah, tell Dan that he could buy you know some flame cannons or something like that that he can light off. That would be cool. Yeah, the, I think the, the reason they do that uh, song is because it's the generic for players that haven't chosen their goal music. Oh, that makes sense. Wait, it, players are given an opportunity to choose the music that are played when they score a goal. Yeah, do you not remember every time Kyber scored, the check no music came on? I totally forgot about that. I did was. So it's been a thing for a couple of years. Has anybody else had custom music other than than Cobra? Yeah, uh, most of the team did, um, but uh, Pepe hasn't chosen one. Hara hasn't chosen one. Have we so. have we scored so few goals <laughs> over the years <laughs> that we just never got the full library played? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's probably just Ryan if Paxton ever scores again. Oh, shut your mouth! What? Mm-hmm. He's going to score again, sir. He scored today. Practice. Did they play a song? Uh, yeah, I played Disco Inferno. <laughs> that was just you singing Oh, that was it. in my head, yeah. That was yeah, you. and then half of the players, they're like, what is this? I've never I, heard this I have totally, I am totally unaware that the players were allowed to select music to be played if they scored a goal. And, I, now, I, and now I need to know what that list is. I think they published it a couple of years ago. Oh, to the Google. Yeah, I'm going to guess that that doesn't exist anymore. Speaking of Paxton, uh, I, I had an observation today about him that I wanted to share. 
that now listen, you you know Paxton, you've met him. He's a genuinely nice kid, right? Yeah, he's very friendly, very gregarious, right? He is crazy media savvy, and I say that because Paxton is the only player, and maybe the only player in FC Dallas history, that every single time I come to practice, and I'm not saying once or twice, every single time. He works his way over in a drill or a scrimmage to where he's standing on the sideline like 10 feet in front of me. And he says hello and talks to me for like five seconds. He's the only player that does it of the current team. And he does it every single time I'm there. And it's like, it's not just because he's a nice guy. He doesn't really know me. I don't know him. It's He's clearly just incredibly media savvy. I was like, it just struck me today. Like, it's just ridiculous how dialed in that kid is. Man, he's the man, and I never want him to leave. He's my favorite player uh, by a by an absolute mile, and I'm so pleased to see him getting better and better every week, uh, and and doing the things that he does on the field because he's just such a he's he's just got all of those qualities, right? He's he's got all of the qualities of my favorite players throughout this team's history. He's got a little Bobby Ryan in him. He's got a little Ted Eck in him. He's got a little Jason Kreiss in him. He's got a little bit of, hell, he's got yeah. a little, you know, Danny, uh, uh, Danny Hernandez in him. You know, he's just got a little bit of all of those things in him that just, that make him kind of the quintessential uh, Dallas prototype player. Yeah. He was created in a lab. He was great. I would, I would probably uh, believe you if I didn't know his dad. Um, So, but if I didn't know his dad, I would agree. He was, he's a, he's an absolute laboratory specimen um, for sure. All right. Anything else that we need to discuss on this particular episode today, fellas? Well, we covered a lot of various topics. Nothing's jumping into my brain that we need to talk about. You know, we're mid-season and we're in a groove. And and, I, and I'm telling you, like, the, the window's around the corner. There's nothing else coming in. This is it. They're going to run with this team no matter what. <laughs> oh, there you go back to the chock full of good news. Chock full of good news. I mean, they could get rid of some people. That might happen. Might sell somebody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that concept of start with something good? get to the bad and then end with something good uh <laughs> how about how about there's still a chance dante Sealy could go to psv how about that that's good i don't know yeah good for him i want to see the kid play yeah i, I i'm to the point like listen i dante Sealy still has uh tactical issues he doesn't know what to do with all of his talent but there's a point at which you kind of got to Oh, I just thought of another topic, too, that we got to talk about. There's a point at which you have to kind of just throw them out there and see what happens. I'm to the point, like, if there's a reason why they need a wing for a game, just put them in and see what happens. I'm okay with that at this point. Um, but I, I thought of the other thing I want to talk about. Under the, uh, the idea earlier that we talked about of Pepe, part of the reason why you have to give a guy a contract like this is so that he costs money when you sell him. you got to pay him what he's worth if you're going to ask for a lot of money. Okay, does that mean Justin Chase due for a raise? Because if you think he's worth X more than what Byron's offering at this point, and he's going to start this whole season, it looks like it right back. Shouldn't he be getting a new contract like Reggie did, like Brian Reynolds did? I mean, he's not going to get a peppy deal, but right. Shouldn't he be next? Uh, yeah, I would assume so. I would, th- I would think so too. I mean, is it going to happen now? Like they did with peppy? Is it going to be this winter? You know, like if you're going to sell to Byron this winter, like we think is possible, you don't want to do it like on a Friday and then on Monday sell him to Byron. You got to do it sooner than that. So keep your eyes open. I, mean, I don't know anything on this one. I'm just saying 
you know, if you think you're going to get six million for him or four million or whatever the hell you think he's worth, you better pay him more than you're paying him. Man, Buzz, I love it when you spend Clark's money. I know. I love Especially twice in six months. Yeah. <laughs> they just made fifteen million in transfers. They just sold Tanner out, out from underneath Lucci oh. again midseason. So how awesome was that picture today of him in the Venetia training shirt? Yeah, yeah, super Let's awesome. Get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Good lord, I can't wait to see what that new kit looks like. That new Kappa kit that is going to be yeah, their kits are fun. Bang yeah. on hot. Speaking of uh, great photos. If you uh, have yet not uh, signed up to be a Patreon of uh, Buzz's uh, uh, third degree stuff, the best reason to do it is to participate in the Discord uh, setup that Buzz has for people that are of a certain level. You get access to these rooms with other you know, readers of his content and lots of good stuff that Buzz digs up. And today, I'm hoping, Buzz, you make this the uh, episode art was the amazing photo, Breck Shea photo, I've never seen before, and I don't know how this has escaped me all these years. It is a photo shoot of Breck Shea, shirtless, standing with his stupid goal, hand over his face celebration thing that he does that I think is so stupid, but yet lovely and purely Breck Shea, standing behind, next to a tree, of his wife, eight months pregnant, Completely naked, covered in purple and pink and different colors of body paint. It is the most Breck Shea photo yeah. of all time. Yeah, let's be clear. It's artistic, quote unquote. It's not dirty, but Art, it, it's, yeah. still, it's still. Oh, yeah, it's not porn. Like, yeah, I didn't yeah. even realize she was naked until yeah. I, I was actually zooming in to see if it was Breck by identifying him by the respect tattoo on his leg when I yeah. realized, wait, she's covered in body paint. That's her purple boob. Yeah, it's prime Breck Shea craziness territory. The guy was so kooky. I mean, I love Breck Shea, don't get me wrong, but man, uh, he's out there in the kooky fringe territory with his art and stuff he would do on 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 various social medias. Yeah, it's a good picture. <laughs> yeah, you could somebody could uh, sell a pretty kick-ass coffee table book with a collection of crazy Breck Shea photos. Well, I think I'm pretty sure that there's a whole selection of that photo that that's just one of a whole collection of like 20. And I just grabbed one of them because I thought it was so crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> it's out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Dan, you missed the entire Breck Shea uh, experiment, didn't you? No, I was here. Oh, were you? Uh, I was here for the end of it. Uh, I mean, I used to go to bars and he'd be there. Uh, the end of it was the best part of it. So you didn't you met you you were here for the best part of it. Yeah, it was after he had the uh it was around the time he had that ankle surgery and then uh actually I think my first game like properly in the in the beer garden was when he was in the beer garden drumming. <laughs> okay. I, I try to remember that the that he had a he had the one season where he peaked and he was a legit MVP candidate, like league MVP yeah. level candidate for one year and then they sold him. But like, you know, typical FC Dallas. But that one year, I mean, he had a couple of good years, but that one year was just ridiculously good. Yeah, I, uh, I'll never forget when he cussed out Shellis Hyman and fr- <laughs> <laughs> on yeah. the field, cussed out Shellis Hyman, like the scariest human being of all time, <laughs> cussed him out uh, in, in San Jose. And then we pretty much never saw Shea again <laughs> after that, if I remember how that story went down. He got sold at the end of that season. Yeah, he was a character from College Station, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, just yep. Brian, yeah, Brian College Station. Yeah. Uh, superstar in the making. All right, well, 
That's enough reminiscing. You can check out Breck Shea's very pregnant, paint-covered naked wife, uh, hopefully on the uh, cover art of this particular episode. For sure. Don't fail, don't fail me, Buzz. Yeah, I got you. And, and also, don't... if you're listening to us at work, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't. It's, not, it's totally safe for work. Don't worry about it. All right. Well, don't forget, on top of all of that, wow, what a great seg. Andrew's going to be excited about this. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Don't forget, go visit the store. It's so cool to go in that place. New arrivals happening daily at the store. The new Chiva stuff, the new Chelsea jerseys, Man City, and even new USA gear. And because you're Buzz's favorite Third Degree listener, you get 25% off your order just use the code third degree at checkout at soccer90.com dan thank you it's great to have you back and fully committed to the pod once again well the gold cup's over now i don't have that crazy commute every five seconds have you gotten your uh, replica gold medal for the synchronized men's diving uh, gold that your country won just a couple uh, days ago no i'm not tom daly and we tend to win a few of those no, oh, okay. Well, I just figured after the disappointment of the European Championships, you would glom on to whatever goodness you could. But no, the the real disappointment was not winning a seventh consecutive men's fours rowing gold. Oh, I didn't know about that. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, that's pretty crushing. We are broken hard. Hey, when you were at AT and T, did you say hello to your Luton Town player for that was on on the Jamaica roster? Did you stop him and say hello and no, do the secret Luton Town handshake? To- no, because it's all still virtual. Oh, sorry but, about that. Uh, I enjoyed Jerry World again and all the stuff that comes with it. Okay. It was definitely jarring going to the Cotton Bowl twice between the two AT&T games. Hey, uh, Buzz, I have a sofa I need to move. Uh, can I borrow your truck? No, because it's a small, short bed, mid-size. It won't, your sofa won't fade in my truck. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ratchet right. straps down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has yet to get a scratch. Eh? Until I scratch the bed, no one's borrowing the truck. <laughs> yeah. All right, Buzz. Thanks for all your information and insight. Uh, appreciate you, buddy. You're welcome. Burn, baby, burn. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. Uh, Enjoy the victory. Enjoy the win. It gets harder from here on out. Uh, We will speak to you next week after two more games on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. We don't do positives around here. I mean, we could. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair Podcast. Third degree, the third degree never get. Third degree, the third degree never get.